Hey, Richard, thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so as Craig mentioned, we do have a vertically integrated management platform. We launched Radiance Living last year, which is our uh, management company subsidiary. And uh, some of the tech forward things we, we do are basic uh, property level installations as far as the smart locks, smart thermostats, which are becoming more and more of a desired amenity at the property level even in the workforce housing segment. So, you know, we're not catering to class A apartment lifestyle renters. We're still in that workforce housing segment, but even in that segment, the tech enabled uh, products are becoming more valuable. On the management side of things, we've developed an in-house data visualization or, or data dashboard to better help us analyze our property data. I mean, every single month we're pulling in so much data from our property management software. So we're looking for ways to get smarter as far as how we can optimize our leasing pipeline and uh, and management. Great. And um, so right now you guys have over 2,000 units, eight properties. So you've obviously figured out some things when it comes to raising capital. So what could you share with the workshop participants on how you first got started when you had no track record and just kind of like where the momentum has come from? Yeah, it, it's great to start from the beginning because actually when we started the business, we really viewed raising capital as an afterthought. And since we're all here on this Zoom and live, we all know that raising capital is absolutely not an afterthought. It is a full-time job. It's something that you should take very seriously. And so we learned that lesson the hard way, but thankfully not too hard. Uh, what I mean by that is the first deal we did, we, again, we, we thought we, we had the myth in our mind that if you have a good deal, the money will come. So we put a good deal under contract and no, no money came, right? We had no track record. We didn't have relationships. And that really kicked off the capital raising journey uh, with our backs against the wall, which I don't think is a bad thing. It's a good way to really motivate yourself to work really hard and and build those relationships. But with that being said, in the capital raising game, it's really critical to dig the well before you're thirsty. And obviously, that's why we're all here and not dialing for dollars right now. We're, you know, scrambling to just call people, right? We're building our funnels, our infrastructure, our content. So that way we're attracting investors because that's, in my opinion, the most effective way to raise capital in this new age where we can leverage social media uh, because it really works. You know, a lot of people think that rich people aren't online, but as we all know, they are. And real investors can be met on LinkedIn, Facebook, even Instagram, uh, as well as the offline stuff as conferences and things like that. So I've followed Richard very closely for many years and have kind of follow the best practices of being professional, being consistent, and uh, providing a ton of value. Well, awesome. Yeah, uh, Joseph reminded me that you guys have done a good job of uh, using the quarterly capital raising audits, get feedback from our team, improve your materials. You know, I had a note here just in general that your logo, you know, uh, we really like, it looks excellent. We'll have uh, the PowerPoint up here after lunch when we go through that. Everyone will have a chance to see your logo for for Lone Star Capital uh, there, but I wanted to to mention that. And then also the importance of building out the team. I think a lot of people try to be the person raising the capital while they're also finding the deals, negotiating the deals. And you just kind of have to do that when you start out, but then reinvesting in your investor relations team, I think is really critical. Um, I know one individual who started a um, commercial real estate uh, sponsor business, like a boutique commercial real estate investment firm. And in just their, they had about a half year of operating the startup. And then just in their third full year, they raised $90 million of equity 
Um, but he said it's because he built out a five-person IR team, an investor relations team, and took it very serious and really built out that team and had all of his processes down. And that's very unusual. That's like an anomaly thing. Most people, like you heard Dave speak earlier, they start by raising $4 million. The next year, maybe they raise $8 million, then maybe 10 or $12 million, and they grow. They build up. And that's why it's so dangerous to say, oh, I've never raised capital, but when they do this $100 million deal, or when they raise a $100 million fund or a billion-dollar asset, because that's just not how even people like Dave have raised $600 million. It wasn't just last year. That's over the last decade, over the last you know so many years that he's built up that that expertise. So what, what was that experience like with you guys? How long did it take to raise the first 5 million, 10 million, uh, et cetera? So the first deal that I mentioned, which was kind of the learning experience, we raised $4.5 million and we had to beg the seller for extension after extension because we just couldn't raise the money, right? So it took six months to get that done. And that's obviously not how you want your capital raise to go. Uh, but that's how we got the first, call it four and a half, five million done. And it was put together through starting with the family and friends network, and then really uh, going out to partners to kind of co-GP with to, at that point, right, it was our first deal. And we, we did not want to be greedy. We kept in mind that the most important part about this deal was getting it done because it would set the groundwork for getting many, many more deals done. So we were uh, very willing to share in the GP to get partners in and to grow our business. So that was the first one. And then Growing from there, it was kind of a, that experience shocked me and made me realize, okay, we have to build a system around this. So that's when we started making content, started, you know, I published my, my book, which has been really, really valuable for attracting new investors. And, you know, now we have a deal under contract, our largest one, it's 50 million. We raised $14 million and we were massively oversubscribed. It was the easiest raise we've done to date. Awesome. That's great. So um, a lot of people would think, well, why would writing a book help you raise capital? So can you explain how you use that, how you leverage it, when when you send it to investors, or if they first find you through the book, or if you use that to add credibility after they meet with you, et cetera? Yeah. So we keep track of where our investor leads come from. And a lot of our leads come from LinkedIn because we post daily on LinkedIn. I'm a really big fan of LinkedIn. And then another big source is guest podcasting, which I think taking advantage of another person's network through their podcast is huge. And then finally the book, which we're talking about now, which is surprising among those three things, how could the book be as powerful as those other mediums? But it really is. If someone's willing to spend two hours with you, meaning reading your book, that's a, it's a very warm lead and, and that they're, they're ready to take the next step. And aside from actually, so the way I described it there, it's more of a mid funnel tool where they kind of already know you and now they're willing to spend the two hours with you. But the book is also used as a top of funnel tool because it builds instant credibility. And as Richard says, you can use it as an oversized business card. So you can hand it out at a conference. If you're just showing up to a meeting and just say, Hey, here, you know, I thought of, thought this book would be valuable to you and they may never read it, but you're going to get a ton of benefit from it. Right. Awesome. And how much money and time did it take to produce the book? Yeah, that's a great point because Today, a book is very easy to do. Uh, I wrote it in about two months, had some of my team edit it with me, and then I self-published it through Amazon for basically free. So I don't think there was literally any cost but my time. And Amazon prints on demand, so you don't have to manage printing and storing inventory, right? Just people buy it, print and ship, and uh, it's, it's a really good way to go. 
Awesome. Great. Appreciate you sharing all that. And I, I liked your comment earlier about not being greedy short-term if you're trying to build like a big platform. I was just listening as part of our work for billionaires.com, an audible book on building the Home Depot. I think it's called Built from Scratch. And he talked about, one of the founders talked about how from the very beginning, they were looking to open a thousand stores. So they did everything with that in mind. It's not about trying to make a whole bunch of money on the deal you're doing right now. And a lot of people say, oh, we couldn't do performance fees only because we have these costs or we can't do this because then we won't make enough margin. But it's all about just building the reputation with investors, building your track record, building your team and skill set. And maybe it's deal number five or 10 or 15 or 20 where you actually start making good profits. At the beginning, it's just the tuition you're paying really to to get the wheel turning and, and get momentum, I think. 